welcome to the Poplar Propcast. I'm your host, Justin Libernet. This week, we're doing the second half of the FounderCast, where we talk to our Chief Technology Officer, Rico Mock, our CEO, Greg Toshi, and our Chief Marketing Officer, Chuck Hadamer, about how they started the company and how they brought it out of a college business fraternity into what it is now, six years later. So when we last left our heroes, they were leaving a Las Vegas convention. Chuck had a drone injury. Uh, they were getting their first crop of new sales clients. So with that, we'll give it right back to the boys. Take it away, boys. Tell us your story. You know, so we left that event actually relatively positive just because we got a lot of business cards. We got a lot of people interested. And, you know, we brought that back and, you know, we started calling up all these leads and, you know, getting meetings with these people. And, and what ended up happening was the, the quick thing we realized was, and Rico can talk to this probably too, is just that each one of these guys wanted like their own custom platform and we didn't want to be in this. And it quickly became that we really didn't want to be this company that's just building custom software platforms for each, each student housing REIT. Yeah. And, and, and that was essentially the sales process with these guys is that that's what we would have to have done to be able to, to get their business essentially. So that, that sort of felt that, so then we started thinking and that, you know, we, we wanted to, to pivot away to our roots. And I recall the one thing we did you know, we actually spent a lot of time like after that, just kind of brainstorming on, you know, what, how would we pivot this? And I remember we went to one of our, one of our customers, it was just an individual owner, not a property management company that used our product to find a student for his house. And we sat down with him and we got his feedback and he was like, yeah, I mean, I would like, I wish you guys have more services. I would have used you guys to collect the rent. I would have used you guys to help with other things. I wish you guys did more. And you know, and, you know, I really never wanted to use a traditional property manager because I just felt it wasn't transparent. I didn't like the options of, of who I had to get to use. And, and I realized what you guys had done. And that kind of turned on a light bulb for us that, well, why don't we see if we can do full experience? And then another big discussion was how do we manage this marketplace? And this was the whole kind of concept of mobile managers and you know, kind of gig economy type concept for property management that we came up with, which was, and that was a big debate actually between the three of us, I remember of whether this would work or not, because it wasn't, because it's a little different than Uber. It's not like there's thousands of tasks a minute, you know, it's just, you have a showing, you have these things. So we weren't sure it was going to work because there just wasn't as many tasks needed, but you know, but we did, we did launch it. It did work. We could pay more for the task given the nature of, of what they were doing. And but initially it was us actually. So when we first got our, so, so we, we pivoted away from the student housing and then we started just calling customers up. So that whole sales team that we had brought on and including myself and Chuck, we're just calling up owners and Enrico is there kind of thinking about how to, you know, re redo the platform for this more full stack experience. And we're just calling up, yeah, individual owners to get them on, get them on service. And essentially I, I was the property manager. <laughs> <laughs> and and like, yeah, I've got a great picture of Greg. I've got a great picture of Greg with our first ever tenant move-ins delivering gifts to the doors of all the tenants moving in. Yeah, yeah that was that was literally the first you know first first thing. And then actually with that pivot, you know, the group of Google investors that we originally got were pretty excited for what we were doing and 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 saw the the path to this pivot. And we had did a follow on seed investment 
and it was that follow-on seed investment that a few other former Google guys came into that. And one of those was Jeff Dean, who was the kind of chief of AI over at Google and kind of the first, you know, a lot he's of the guys are barred right now, right? Yeah, I think yeah, so. I think he's the one driving yeah. that. Yeah. Chat so, GPT competitor. Yep. So that was, that was interesting. And actually funny enough, we, we were all like sitting, we were all huddled around. I remember, I still remember that call because we were like all huddled around our couch on this like kind of, I don't even think it was Zoom because Zoom wasn't really a thing back then. It was like just some Google Meet or something. And we, there was Jeff just like sitting there looking at us and we were like so nervous <laughs> pitching, pitching this guy, you know, what we were doing and what we were trying to, trying to build, um, you know, and, and I remember Rico is like super worried because he was like, like he's way beyond us for technology. Like <laughs> what we're doing here is like, like means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know he saw he saw i think you know he, he did see what we were trying to do and he saw you know the little i think really what kind of got through to him was just how little technology there was in general in real estate altogether and and the interesting data we'd collect by bringing more technology to to the space well that, um, that pivot we too has a, a huge shift for your addressable market you go from Several hundred thousand millionish people a year to fifteen million homes, a bunch of apartment buildings. Like all of a sudden, your addressable market just expands exponentially. Yeah, right. exactly. And the and the lifetime value because be, because you know that was one of the things that was always important to us was how do we really be a part of those lives you know over a long term, and there are obvious obvious business benefits to that. And going full service, that was one of the, you know, reasons of to go full service is to also not only expand the market, going into general market, but we're actually now doing full property management and we can expand the lifetime value of the customers that we have and, you know, build upon that with future services. And, and a lot and that- of those conversations, like a lot of the, I, I, I think one thing that you know, stands out to me kind of recounting all these stories is there's a lot of naivete in the, amongst the three of us. And that, that was a, such a valuable thing to have in the first days, because you could try stuff without, you know, working yourself into a corner thinking this isn't going to work. We just tried things. And the other thing is like that you notice in the thread in some of these stories, I think is especially, you know, Greg and Rico, the building up the advisory network, you know, from that first professor, John Topple, who we traded a, we asked him to train our sales team in return. We'd help him move out of his house. Rico running into the career counselor who ended up introducing us to our first seed investors. I think there was another advisor, Jim Margraf, who we went and met with. And it was after that meeting that we were talking about Uber for property management and how could you go full service? So there's all these little moments in time that Chris Cabrera, you know, being an early advisor and so many of these folks are still really important to our business today, but that, you know, the combination of being a little naive, but also being really persistent on building up the advisory network that really got us through those early days in a big way. So let's talk a little bit about that, the early days and the expansion, kind of the initial growth, which is you guys are doing a lot of the boots on the ground stuff. So it's, regionally kind of locked at the beginning. You're staying in the Bay Area, kind of growing there. Two questions here, one for Greg and then probably one for Rico, is how do you go about expanding 
in the Bay Area itself and selling this product, like bringing it, finding the marketplace of both sides. And then after that, Rico, if you want to talk about the development of the tech stack and then some of the decisions around offshoring is probably the, the part after that. Yeah. Yeah, I can start. So Greg, yeah, yeah so if you'll talk about the, the expansion in the market, the initial expansion. Yeah. So, so, you know, what we initially did was, so after we closed that kind of, you know, essentially second seed to fuel that pivot, we actually moved into our first office actually at that moment too, as well, which was in downtown San Jose, right across from city hall it was actually the Mercury, right across the Mercury news building or whatever, the Bay area. And, and what we, what we actually built out initially was we, we scaled off of that same kind of sales team that we built out to target the student housing. It's a lot of people from Santa Clara, actually, you know, some, and some of these people used to do calling for donations in the, in the, in the, I forgot the name of the, the office there, but on campus, they have essentially students who call upon alumni for donations. So actually a lot of some of the people were doing that and we got them to come in as sales reps for, you know, fi essentially finding property owners. And so we built out that team. We started calling owners that had vacancies and because that was the biggest pain point. So, and we built up a large enough sales team where we could call a decent number of owners that had vacancies. And, and that was, and that was our sell is like, look, let us help you fill this vacancy. And then we can handle the pain afterwards. And, you know, and that, and, you know, that took off pretty well. I mean, the sales training that Chuck talked about with one of those professors, you know, really helped us build kind of a sales model. So, so we really, we built a sales playbook pretty early in terms of how we would sell. I think that was probably a big part of that success. Like we, we figured out how we'd sell, you know, we really built out that playbook. And, and one of those early employees, actually, Matt Grotelars, I'll, I'll give him some kudos there, who was kind of our sales lead, really took the time to build out that training playbook, like, in, at such an early time, like I felt like we had a sales org of a larger company because of what we did in the early days, and that really fueled fueled us scaling beyond just you know small local to the greater bay. And then what fueled the servicing of that was the mobile manager model. That's where the mobile manager model took off because in the early days we were too small to attract this kind of third party marketplace. It was really myself. But as we started kind of building that portfolio. And getting a little more dispersed, it made more and more sense. And we had to pitch these people actually initially, because and these people, you know, were real estate agents already. Some of them, where they would do other stuff, or or they were contractors, and we'd have to sit them down and pitch them on what this was and the tasks you'd get and etc. So the first group was pretty tight. It was like I think it was maybe four or five mobile managers essentially that we sold on this. I think even my mom actually helped. At that time, to pitch some of these mobile managers. And that's uh, just to, for clarity. Mobile managers, like mobile property manager, they would do like they would go, you know, place a lockbox or yeah. do a showing or do an inspection, different tasks. Yeah. Like so that. and they had our and they had all of our uh, all of our swag. And so yeah, so yeah, that, that's how we kind of got the initial scale because that kind of took off. You know, the tasks we're building. And that kind of built on itself. What was the scale like in that first year going from a couple of properties to, do you remember your first year totals? Probably, I, I feel like the first year, which was probably like kind of 2016, early 2016, maybe we got to, you know, from, yeah, a couple of properties to probably three, 400 properties, you know, at that so point. So that's actually just from having talked to lots of property managers and been exposed to lots of property growth summits and ways to grow. That's really fast growth. 
Yeah, and I right. it was fast, and I would say, hundred percent because of that that kind of sales org we built out. I I don't think there really was any property managers that did kind of what we did there, or any anyone traditional, especially. And at that time, we didn't really have competitors. That we we actually had, there was one called Castle. That was actually the only competitor I can think of that was early enough that was around our time, and they were I think in Sacramento. No, Detroit. Uh, Oh no, Detroit! Yeah, you're Detroit, right. Detroit. Yeah. They're Detroit, not Sacramento. They're um, another sort of technology. You know, they're approaching it from the technology side, and uh, yeah, they they had started in Detroit. Yeah. Okay, so while Greg and Chuck are kind of building out the the marketplace, the boots on the ground, how's your process in this point, Rico, to develop the products that are going to support them, support mobile managers? Like, how do you approach that side of the growth? Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean. Is literally like building a plane at it as it is taking off, right? So, you know, one one thing we realized very early on is that, uh, you know, the great product comes into kind of a, a product that solves the end user problem in in a perhaps different way, right? In a more efficient yeah. way, in a better customer experience way, and et cetera. And but uh, th- but there's still a lot of fundamentals and a, a lot of you know fundamentals things that we need to do, and early on. What we have, and, and again, in, engineers are incredibly expensive in Silicon Valley as, as we started. Yeah. And we, we have engineers that I, I, I remember back in the day that we spent all the time building internal products. Right? We're building the internal products, we're building the dashboard. And I remember all the requests comes in is how do we you know, do ticket assignments? How do we add different fields to different things? And, and that, you know, it dawned on me, it's like, wait, wait a second. We're not really producing any product that help, helping the customer. We're just producing, you know, internal products that are helping our internal operation team. So early on, we made a pivot to say, hey, you know, we go build proprietary software where it has unique value. Where it doesn't, we'll just use, you know, you know, best of class, call it CRM, to support some of these functions. So that was an early kind of pivot in terms of mentality. And and funny enough, you know, you talk about other early competitors and, and I've talked to many of the CTOs and a lot of them came through that journey because CTOs, you know, when they start, they, they one thing about engineers is they believe they could build everything under the sun, which is true if they have unlimited time. If they're the, you know, <laughs> But what is not true is that in startup, time is very, very precious, right? And deciding what to work on is not very seemingly apparent until until too, until later on. So we learned that lesson very early on, very quickly, and quite thankfully. And and I remember early on we have this product and this value proposition that it resonate with a lot of owners. As you know, a lot of owners, you know, we're waiting for the rent for the for the mortgage, right? So early on we thought of this idea of rent guarantee and, and we still do today in the sense that you know don't worry as, as owners whether the tenant pays late or whatever we'll guarantee the rent to come into your account you know as you know third of, of every month so you can actually you know, pay your mortgages that seemingly simple idea is actually a very big technical under undertaking back eight years ago you know i mean the payment landscape i'm sure everyone have a stripe and all that and, and all the buzz around stripe and all these payment gateways but the bottom line is all this development in, in technology or gateways is centered around credit card payments. And as you all know, till today, credit card payments, though is a, is a means of paying rent, is not the majority given the fees that the rail charges, right? So at that point, we had to use, you know, ACH, a product called ACH to move large amount of money, you know, relatively cheaply and, and quickly. 
and I, I distinctively remember, and then this is why I lost all my hair, is that <laughs> the first year we went through four different ACH payment gateways. And ultimately what is happening is we sign up for one ACH payment gateways. One. All right, Rico, tell us about your hair. Yeah, so you know, I, I pretty much lost all my hair during that that time, right? Or at least accelerated the rate. We went through, you know, four different ACH call it payment gateway, and one by one, every four or five months, they start folding. We go into one, they fold. So the company itself was folding, or the yeah. technology was failing. The company, because ultimately ACH is a very low cost uh, rails, unlike credit card where they could charge a spread. A lot of these companies just couldn't make enough money to sustain the business model, right? So I remember we used a company called Pay My Bank, then we used Balance, then Balance Folded and Balance Sold to Stripe, and we finally ended up Stripe, but Stripe really didn't care about the ACH product, bought them for the customers and just left us there. And and the biggest issue is then, you know, all these ACH gateways, because of the nature of how ACH works, and by the way, back then there's no such thing as a same day ACH. That that thing just doesn't exist. I believe next day ACH was also pretty new, if I remember correctly. You know, and and to to protect these, you know, gateways, they often will hold the funds for, you know, as long as a week. And it became, you know, really impactful to our, 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 you know, our operations, because how do we guarantee the rent when, when the money is being locked up? So we have to float a larger amount of money, right? And, and that's what the event of kind of building our first payment rails directly with SVB, our first bank. And, oh, and, I've heard of them. <laughs> and, and, you know, they, they are really a great bank. You know, they, they kind of gave us a lot of support. And then and early on, we built a direct integration with, with SVB. And, and, you know, till, till until last month, we still, you know, moved you know, a couple months ago, moving large amount of money with SVB. Now, you know, we're on different other banks, you know, using still the same ACH rails as we speak. But, you know, the, 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 that, that's kind of how the product progressed. And, and, you know, one thing about property management product is, is very wide and very deep, right? We're talking about, you know, prospective tenant, current tenant, prospective landlord, current landlord, vendors, internal users, and then, you know, basically many constituents of many different processes. Yeah. So today, you know, we're able to have, we have a team of about 70 engineers, you know, kind of building all these products and, and you know, and, and it took us a long, long time to build the foundation that, that, that is supporting, you know, all these innovative products that we're building today that ultimately we're looking to drive, drive better user experience and efficiency into the business. Got it. That's, that's a lot of engineers. So talking about staffing, when was the pivot from all us to partial offshoring like how did that come about how did that piece of the puzzle kind of roll in there and our staff and we have staff in the philippines which is yeah. a majority of our staff is in the philippines i think ultimately you know i think early on by the way early on i was also running operations and i remember distinctively and i was sitting in the san jose office and we're building these products and you know the first obvious product was the browse page and all that right where people can see the the, the amenities and what's if pets allowed and all that. Yeah. I realized that there are a large amount of people calling in, even though it's written right in the descriptions, like dogs allowed, dogs not allowed. They would call in and ask if dogs and cats allowed. And back then we have, you know, you know, our local, you know, call it, you know, we hired a bunch of Santa Clara, you know, friends and hot classmates to, to run operation, AKA, you know, pick up the phone and answer if dogs allowed or cats allowed. And I just remember it, 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 it dawned on me, it's like, 
this can't be scalable. We're in the most expensive, you know, cost of living area in the whole world. And, you know, they're, you know, they're answering, you know, simple questions like this. And, and at that point, you know, actually, I, I thought I was smart, but actually later on realized I was really stupid is I went and hired three people around the globe, one in Costa Rica, one in the Philippines and one in Nicaragua and, and thought that, well, you know, yeah. And thought that, well, if, if, if we can have three people around the world who have 24 hour coverage, it turns out that I had to be the one who have 24 hour coverage because early on in the early days, things changes by the minute. So anything changes, I need to tell team A, B, and C. And I think within a week, I just start having constant nosebleed. And it's like, this isn't working. And ultimately at that point, long story short, one of the best person we've hired was in the Philippines. And, and from there, you know, we kind of, you know, kind of said, okay, let's grow the Philippines team. And for myself, I, I'm actually from Australia. Oh, well, my family's in Australia, as I mentioned. And I kind of go home to do something. And I remember Philippines was kind of in the middle path somewhat. And I took a detour, landed, and then met the team. And, and you know, and realized it was a fantastic team. And kind of, you know, then decided, you know, put a lot of resources and effort to kind of grow that team to what it is today. That's great. So we do have a cut on Greg's time. So Greg, I have like one more question that I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to talk to Chuck a little bit about the rebrand and pivot. But Greg, as you look at the company and all of it's done and what your founder journey has been, what do you look forward and see in the future for Poplar that you're super excited for? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, we're in a very unique moment right now where our technology and what we built is going to have its largest impacts in the coming year because we're achieving the most amount of scale, honestly, that we've ever had in our history. And there's going to be more of that in the coming in the coming year as well. And I think what's most exciting to me is that's where we'll really have a chance to see how our technology can can impact you know the experience even more so just given that it'll be used at a much larger scale obviously there'll be things that break and things that we in Roblox that will hit on this kind of path forward but I think that's the exciting part to be honest you know I I think it's hard to explain but it's kind of like your your company kind of goes through these cycles and phases and I think the most dangerous thing is getting stuck in one of those phases and then you kind of fizzle out. And I think one thing that's kind of kept us going is we've, we've migrated to new phases as we've, as we've grown the company, you know, be it the rebrand that Chuck will probably talk about in a minute, be it the pivot, you know, these moments that have kind of built, continued to fan the fire of us scaling. And now I think it's the moment of, it's kind of this, this kind of call to order of really implementing our technology across a much greater scale, which is exciting. That is exciting. Well, Greg, thank you for your time. I know you're going to drop in a second, so feel free to stay on and, and jump in if you need to or prep for your next one. That's good. And now to kind of pivot to one of our pivots. So we've talked a little bit about how it started out and it was One Rent was the original name of it. When and why did you guys go, hey, we need to not call it One Rent? Yeah, I can, I can speak on that. You know, we had always thought about Poplar then called One Rent. Like Greg said, you know, scaling this beyond, you know, the Bay Area where we started and beyond rentals ultimately. And in 2019-ish time, yeah, in 2020, so not not too long ago from the recording of this, but we had 
decided, okay, we've we've got to make this switch sooner rather than later because we're starting to expand to more states and more markets and bring on more properties under management. So we kind of went back to the drawing board and of of ideas for brands for the for the company. And you know, we started the company on Poplar. Two, one. Okay, Chuck, go from Poplar Street. Oh yeah. So we had started the company on Poplar Street in Santa Clara and in the mission of trying to branch beyond rentals, we thought, okay, this is a good time to explore rebrand. So it was, I believe early 2020 was the time that we decided to make that switch. We really liked the name Poplar because of its relation to our, our origins. Was and we it thought before it was... COVID that this started or had COVID already kind of changed the game? Um, Cause I feel like that. I think it was kind of in the middle. Yeah, it was, I feel like it was, Rico, do you remember, was it before COVID or during? I felt like uh, it was during. I can't remember. I think okay. it was, I no, feel pre, like, it was pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. Okay, yeah. So maybe right, yeah, because it was. It's definitely yeah, pre-COVID. Maybe, because okay. when I worked with the agency and yeah, it was definitely pre-COVID. Yeah. So it would been it been, you know, basically right before COVID and yeah, and, and we surveyed the whole company. We talked to you know, lots of different people, you know, doing a name change is, is always interesting because it's, it's an easy thing to give feedback on and, and, it, and it's an important thing. And we, we spent a lot of time thinking about that, but yeah, we ended up going with Poplar and we liked it because relation to the origins of where we started also, you know, every town in, in America at least has usually some form of Poplar Street or Poplar Avenue, and we aim to serve every town in America. So we like that connection, and it's a it's a wood used to make things in the home, like furniture. So it was a few different reasons as to yeah. why Poplar came came to being. But yeah, that was right around the time, and really what drove it was trying to get beyond just rentals, because ultimately Poplar's vision is to be a lifetime partner for owners and renters throughout their entire journey from renting a home to buying their first home to ultimately becoming a real estate investor. So we wanted to open up the field for that with the name change. Gotcha. So the branding change is also kind of an identity change in that space where instead of just rent and property management, the idea and the pivot is to open up all these other avenues around housing. Right. Yeah, big identity shift. And I think it was, you know, the laying the groundwork for that brand to be built because we think that real estate is not just a transactional experience. You know, it's oftentimes people's most sensitive place, you know, the place they call home where they raise kids or work or, you know, build build a family. And, and it's also usually their largest investment, largest yeah. expense every month. So uh, Poplar, we think we can really change that that experience and affect a big impact. Yeah, I, that's, and that's, it's a thing that we keep coming back to and how we convey the message of Poplar and talk about Poplar is that we're dealing with the place where for one side of the market, it's an economic behemoth. And on the other side of the market, it's just this emotional safe place. A home mm-hmm. is so many different things and it kind of sits in that space for us to mediate. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so after the rebrand and kind of that shift, what did COVID do 
to the organization and how did that affect expansion, engineering, just kind of everything that was going on at the time? Yeah, I think I can speak to some of that and then Rico, you could speak to that. You know, I think one of the things is that we were in a way very much prepared for the change in consumer behavior during COVID. We had just launched sort of the MVP of self tours and Rico can speak more to that, but we had always built this business model where it wasn't reliant on people coming into a physical office and signing leases. It was, you know, very much remote rentals even before COVID. So people could actually apply online. They could schedule tours online and rent properties almost sight unseen if they really wanted to and and have the opportunity to actually go visit with one of our mobile managers that like we referenced earlier, you know, those kind of on-demand task person that could do the showing with them. So that, you know, I think that really made us prepared for COVID and kind of the change in behavior. We had to also just launch virtual tours so people could tour houses virtually do it, you know, because we had done a 3D scan of every home on the platform. And yeah, I think that really set us up for success to to kind of weather that storm. And I think throughout COVID we we had, you know, still 96, 97% collection rate on rents. So we had good tenants, you know, and and responsive tenants. And when there was hardships, we opened up programs for tenants to be able to do payment plans or access rent relief funds for owners as well. But Rico, you could speak more to the technology side as well. Yeah, I think you hit on a nail, Chuck. A lot of the products we were working on prior to COVID, you know, was essentially expedited in the sense of user adoption, where, you know, at first some customers like, oh, I, I, I don't want this to now I actually need this, right? Yeah. Actually made the, the product development cycle a lot quicker and then user adoption much better. On the technology side, I, I think it, it, in some sense, COVID helped, but in another sense, it's, it's also a very, you know, I, I guess speaking outside of technology is a very uncertain period of time uh, early on. Yeah. No one knew, it was like, what is happening to the world? Is this the last week of the world? Or, or, or well, it's going to keep going for, for you know, longer than the next couple of weeks that we can see, right? But but as a product team, as, a, as an engineering team, we just keep pushing products. And, and, you know, in a way, you know, as a company, we're also pretty prepared working, you know, in a, in a remote form. And it obviously has its pros and cons. Yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose today, no one could definitively said what's the right approach <laughs> of, you know, off, office hybrid or remote. But yeah. So generally speaking, everything was was pretty good. And actually during COVID, it was, in some sense, there was a lot of uncertainty, but we as a company grew within the the, the, the time of the pandemic and really just shows the kind of the resilience, resilience and then also the, 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 the importance of the product that we've been building. Yeah, I feel like the, the pandemic in a lot of ways forced people to retrain on technologies that had been at the periphery. So stuff like Zoom calls and Google Meets and Teams are the easy example. But things like, I can go and see a house and not have to meet somebody there. Matter of fact, I'm more comfortable doing that because I don't know where they've been. All of a sudden becomes relevant. Same with doing more things online and not going to an office, a store, meeting in person. Like it, It's a massive accelerator for sure. Right. Okay. So let's kind of wrap this up and round it out with the same question that I asked Greg. So same for you guys is Rico, as you look forward into the future of the company, what are the things that most excite you and you're most 
you're most jazzed to get down to and see happening. Yeah, it's incredibly exciting that, you know, Poplar is not the youngest company. It it is one of the, we have, I believe we we are the pioneer of the space, right? And then that, that gave us a lot of learning lessons and it gave us a lot of time to build the foundation of the technology of the of the operation and, and a, a lot of things that we have today that can support you know tens of thousands of units and then further on you know growing at a, at, a, at a very fast clip right so the products that we're building today is being possible because we have this foundation and then i'm incredibly excited for the you know kind of the product and engineering team and, and also as a company of what we can do to make this product you know, the, make it come to the vision that we wanted it to be, right? The way that we like, the way that I like to say a lot of times is how do we make re- owning a property as easy as owning a stock on Robinhood, right? It should be as seamless as that. And then for the tenant side, how do we make renting a property as easy as buying a book on Amazon, as cliche as that sounds? So you are, we're making great strides to, to that. And, and, and I'm very excited to, to, to see in the, hopefully in a couple of years, how we can really fundamentally change that for the better. Great. Thanks, Rico. Chuck, you go. You got a, a yeah. future hopeful outlook for us? Yeah, I think I've, you know, definitely second and build upon what uh, Rico and Greg have said. For my perspective, I think what excites me about the future of Poplar is really realizing that vision of being the lifetime partner for our customers and residents. And, you know, real you always hear real estate as this thing that, you know, helps people you know, build wealth and build a future for themselves and their families, and it can build generational wealth, all these things. And I think if we can make that experience more accessible for people and kind of help teach people through the process of, you know, going from renter to being a homeowner to ultimately being a real estate investor and make that process easier and less geographically constrained so that you could do it wherever any any market that you want to invest in real estate. And kind of remove some of those uncertainties or blockers for people that that historically they've been unable to access this asset class. That's what excites me is that, you know, you can like for example, our our residents today, you know, they earn points in what we call street cred points. They earn their street cred. And these points can be redeemed for cash back towards closing costs when they buy a home with us in the future. So this is one way that you know, we're trying to accelerate the path towards home ownership. And then on the on the real estate investing side, you know, today we are now, like Greg was saying, because we have such scale, we're in 16 states as of the recording of this. And y- you as a real estate investor can literally add a property in any of those 16 states by clicking a, a button on the dashboard and click add property. And it kicks off a whole process to get your property onboarded. So that itself is a major step towards opening up access to a asset class that's historically been a little bit more difficult for people to get into and removing the barriers to be able to manage that asset class. So that's really what excites me in the future is kind of realizing that vision even more, you know, going from 16 to 50 states and that technology platform that's been, you know, just tested and trialed for the past eight years. It's not like we are coming out, you know, buying up property management companies and then thinking about building tech. You know, we started with doing it ourselves, building the tech, putting it out in the market and actually testing this thing. And like Rico said, that's given us so much knowledge to be able to just 
go into rapid growth mode, you know, even beyond what we've already scaled to today. Yeah, that's exciting. And I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it. For those of you listening at home, you can follow along on our journey at poplar.home slash pod. That's poplar.home slash pod. You can also find out information on how to load your properties onto the platform, grab a free rent estimate, or find out other things that we can do for you. If you are a renter, you can come look at our properties first and see if you qualify for street cred and then start earning towards a home. And we have more things coming out this year for you. So on all sides, we have something to offer you. Guys, thanks very much for coming on. That was a great one. Thank you, Justin. Thanks, Justin.